0: Today I get to deliver the least Christmassy Christmas message that you guys will probably ever hear. And, you know, if you like that kind of thing, who likes story time? Everybody, Yes, this is going to be one big, long story, okay? And the reason that we're going to give this story is a very interesting reason, because we're going to talk about covenant. The story of covenant. I got one yay. I like that. Today we're going to talk about the covenantal history of Israel, and if that doesn't sound Christmassy, it didn't to me either last year when I heard this for the first time, and I had a professor who I'm indebted to still who blew my mind by putting Jesus Christ in the perspective of a first century Jew instead of a 21st century American, and I've never thought of Christmas the same way again, and I'm going to help you guys think about that today. We have a problem with Christmas. We don't understand what child this is like they would have understood it back then. What does the Christmas carol say? What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? What child is this? We're going to go back to this slide at the end of this message. We're going to unpack this in the light of the covenants of the Old Testament and we're going to read about what child this is. And I just want to let you know ahead of time when I get to this last slide at the end I'm going to read a whole bunch of Bible verses. Some of them will be recapped from Bible verses that we've read along the way and the other ones are from the New Testament but for the sake of dramatic effect I won't mention the references but I have it printed out if you care you can double check me. They're right here and I'm going to read it. What child is this? Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Christmas is at the beginning of the Gospels, and the Gospels are at the beginning of the New Testament. But this message is going to show that Christmas is no mere beginning. In fact, Christmas is actually a sort of conclusion. There's a long story that leads up to Christmas, and this message is going to talk about the story behind the Christmas story, so that we can feel the impact of that first Christmas morning the way that probably we haven't before. I hadn't before last year, and I hope you guys find this as cool as I did. So we're going to start with the covenantal history of Israel. The history of Israel is built on covenants and promises. In the Old Testament, God made four explicit covenants with four different people. The first one was with Noah, the second one was with Abraham, then Moses, and then King David. And these were foundational to Israel's understanding of God and also of themselves. They understood who they were in the world and who they were in relation to God in the light of these covenants and promises that God made with them. Does that make sense? These were the bedrock of what they were built on. Their self-understanding, their understanding of their nation, and their understanding of God. And if we want to understand Christmas, and if we want to think about what child is this, the way they thought about it, we need to do some homework. I'll let you know right now, <laughs> this is not going to be a 25-minute message. I'm so sorry. I'm going to try to keep it to 30, but if I don't, have grace. First covenant, Noah. We run into this in Genesis 8, 21 to 22. God has just judged the earth. Everything was so wicked, God essentially pressed the reset button. He found one righteous dude in his family, and he said, build a boat. I'm flooding this whole thing. We're starting over. I'm wiping the hard drive. And this is the promise that God made to Noah, Genesis 8. The Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, this is the key, okay? K? I just said K? This is the key, (laughs) all right? There we go, that's better. (laughs) Seed time and harvest, cold and heat. Summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. All right? This is the promise. What has just happened? God just wiped out the whole earth with a flood. So what is he saying in a sense? He's saying, don't worry about another flood. I promise not to wipe you out. And he's also saying this, and this is very important. Don't freak out. I'm going to keep this world spinning. I'm sustaining it. Okay? Now that might seem like a no brainer, but if you've just gotten off a boat and everything is dead but yeah. you, you need to hear this. Right? Because you might wake up grumpy tomorrow and Okay? But this means one other thing. No, that's not what it means. Hold on, you put that there. I'm sorry. This covenant with Noah is irrevocable and non contingent. This is going to come up again and again and again. This is super key. Who decides to keep the the, the earth spinning and to keep sustaining it, to keep holding it together? God decided that, right? How much does that have to do with Noah? Zero. Nothing to do with Noah. God says, I'm going to do this by my own power because I decided to, and I'm going to do it irrevocably forever. I will not change my mind on this. Can't do it. It's written into the contract. This is the covenant I'm making with you. And it's not contingent on you at all. Make sense? Next covenant. God shows up to Abram. And he says, he changes his name to Abraham later. And he gives him this promise in Genesis 12. In quotations there, I have Genesis 15, 18 to 21. That is the formal covenant. And I suggest everybody read it because it is dramatic. God tells Abraham, I want you to cut up a whole bunch of animals. Seriously. Split them in half. And this is the way they would make a covenant in the ancient world. The two people would hold hands and they would recite the terms of the covenant as they walked between the animals. In a sense saying, if I break this agreement with you, let it be done to me as it is to these animals. It's serious. Well, God causes Abraham to go into a deep sleep. and when Abraham wakes up, there's God walking through the animals by himself reciting the terms of the covenant. But it's basically the same thing that we hear right here in Genesis 12. We—who's heard this before from me? Probably in the last month. Yes, of course, Justin. You hear everything from me. I talk to you all the time. God says to Abraham, super important: "I will make you a great nation. Very key. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth." Say, all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. We know that promise, but there's another promise in that same chapter from God. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. Huge. Another huge, huge, huge reoccurring theme in the Old Testament. God reiterates it in the next chapter. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. In fact, this is so important that God reiterates this promise not just to Abraham, but also to Abraham's son and grandson. So multiple times to Abraham himself, then to Abraham's son, remember, I'm going to give all this land to you, just like I promised your dad. And then to Abraham's grandson, I'm going to give all this land to you, just like I promised your grandfather. And when Moses is about to lead the mighty nation that God does bring about, God is faithful, into the promised land in Exodus 33, God reminds them again. You're going into this land because I promised it to your great, 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 great ancestor. This is a gigantic bedrock of the Israelite people. And again, let's look at what it means. Abraham has promised that he will become a great nation that he's going to get all of the land. And these promises are, again, irrevocable and not contingent. What's the expiration date on this? None. Who decided to do it? God. How much does God say it has to do with Abraham? Nothing. Nothing. God comes down and says, irrevocably, with zero contingencies, you will become a great nation, you will get all this land, and you will be blessed. Great nation and a huge territory. Next one comes along. God makes good on his promise. In fact, Abraham does become a great nation. And Moses, of course, we know the story of the Exodus, the parting of the Red Sea, leads him out of Egypt. They go into the promised land. And God makes a covenant with Moses on Mount Sinai. God comes down in a dramatic show, shakes the mountain. There's darkness, there's lightning, there's fire. And essentially, this covenant is the entire law. If you read the first five books of the Bible and it has all the do's and do nots, There's so many places where it says and he wrote down all these words or God spoke all these words. This is a big deal. A lot more involved than the others and it has different language. Who can spot in this sentence from Exodus 19 what's different? Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. What's weird there? There's an if. There's a big fat noticeable if. This treaty is way different than the others. And let's just point out, if there's an if, there's a contingency? That's right. Every time this is reiterated, it's contingent. Highly contingent. Check out these two verses. I smashed them together from Deuteronomy 28. All these blessings will come on you and your company if you obey the Lord your God. However, If you do not obey the Lord your God and do not act carefully to follow all his commands and decrees that I am giving you today, all these curses will come on you and overtake you. Now here we have a bit of a conundrum. Because this covenant follows two that are irrevocable and non-contingent. But this one is highly dependent on obedience, is it not? This one also seems to regulate all the blessings of the other promises. God essentially says, if you want this land, this is how you're going to act. If you want to be my people, my great nation, these are the rules you're going to follow. If you want to be blessed by me, you will obey the way of life that I condone. And you won't break my laws. This one can be messed up. It can. And God goes to great trouble to let them know this is serious. It's not like the other ones. This slide just exists to let you know that I haven't gotten off track. <laughs> and I still remember that it's December. <laughs> so we're going to talk about one more covenant coming up. And this is, this is the one that, when we, when we think about Christmas, this is often the one that comes up. And this is God's covenant with David. And this is so cool. And it echoes throughout the rest of the Old Testament. David decides, hey, I live in this great palace. God's been in this tent basically for way too long I'm going to build God a temple I want to make God a nice house like I've got and David's right hand man the prophet Nathan who's supposed to keep him in the will of the Lord smacks him on the back and says great idea David go for it but that night the Lord visits Nathan and basically says yeah, you should talk to me first I don't really want David to build me a house his kids going to do that but I do have something I want you to tell David because I know that David loves me and David's a man after my own heart Check this out. This is the Lord speaking to David through Nathan. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself... Who's going to do it? The Lord himself. ...will establish a house for you. And house used in this context means a royal house, a royal lineage. The Lord himself will establish a house for you... When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you and your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. We're about to get interactive. Every time you see the word forever, I want you to say emphatically forever, okay? He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever, forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. forever. Lots of forevers. David hears this, runs right to God's presence in the tabernacle and starts to worship. And this is what he says. Sovereign Lord, you are God. Your covenant is trustworthy and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever. Forever in your sight. For you, sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant will be blessed. Forever. Forever. This is a powerful, powerful, powerful covenant in the Jewish mind. Not only do they have Noah, right? God said through Noah, I'm not going to destroy this whole thing again. In fact, I'm sustaining it. I'm holding it together. Famines might come and go, droughts might come and go, but don't doubt me, because seed time and harvest. Heat and cold, summer and winter, they're not going away. I am sustaining this thing. And then he tells Abraham, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. Not just a nation, a mighty nation. And you're going to have all this land. Then he tells Moses, you've got to obey my law if you want those things. But then, here through David, God again reaffirms his plan to give Israel their own territory. That's in 2 Samuel 7. And God promises David that his line of kings will extend forward, one more time, forever. forever. You can be done with the forevers now. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Maybe. Well, the, you guys see a tension here? In this same promise, God mentions almost offhand, yes, I, I'm still planning to give your own territory. And your line of kings is going to extend forward forever. And this is irrevocable and non-contingent. God says, I, the Lord, myself, will do this. How much does this have to do with David? Goose egg, zero. In fact, we know he really falls on his face later, doesn't he? God doesn't change his mind. This is irrevocable. The blessings and promises of God are irrevocable. That's in the New Testament. If you're a Jew, you're seeing an eternal line of kings, all these forevers, what does it mean? They quickly ascertained that this promised descendant of David was not a normal dude. This was something special. And if you read in the prophetic literature, Jeremiah and Isaiah, they knew that the seed of David, the branch from the root of Jesse, was more than just a normal king. They were looking for something quasi-divine, although they didn't quite have the language for it. They knew it was a big deal. The prophets were getting messages from the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. This coming seed of David is a big, big deal. But it is not going to go well. Because the contingent prophecy, the contingent covenant, is quickly broken. The reign of David comes early in Jewish history and it's the high point. Everything else is an absolute train wreck. They start to assimilate with their neighbors, they start to worship idols, they start murdering their children, they start bringing foreign deities into God's temple, they break God's heart. For hundreds of years God sends prophet after prophet after prophet and what he says is I'm so furious with you because you're breaking my heart. You are acting like a harlot. It's like I married a woman that can't keep stuff that's supposed to go on between a man and a woman in the house. It's like you're flaunting yourself around town. You're breaking my heart. And they refuse to listen and eventually God has to do What he said he'd do in the covenant, if you don't obey me, eventually, at the long end of the line, after discipline and discipline and discipline, is you get cut off. God said in the Mosaic covenant, I will kick you out of the land. I will turn my back on you. And that happens. The north, Israel splits into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom falls to Assyria in 722 BC. God has had enough. And this is the account of that in 2 Kings. They rejected his decrees and the covenant he had made with their ancestors and the statutes he had warned them to keep for hundreds of years, mind you. So the people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria. Listen to this last sentence. And they are still there. They are never heard from again. They are wiped off of the map of history. The northern kingdom never comes back. There's never a story about these people banished from, into Assyria, getting to come back to their homeland. We don't really know anything about what happened to them. Gone. Completely gone. Shortly after that, 586 BC, the, the kingdom of Judah in the south has been limping along. These are where the kings from the line of David were continuing to reign, but they were getting more and more evil themselves. Even the line of David couldn't keep it together. And pretty soon, God realizes these guys are just as bad or worse than my people were in the north. And he has to judge them too. Babylon comes in, and we have some amazingly, astoundingly terrible things happen. The temple itself, the cornerstone of their culture, the thing the law circled around and orbited, is plundered, burned down, and razed. The last king from the line of David sees his sons killed before his eyes, and then he's blinded and taken into captivity where he dies. The Israelites are exiled, and all their independence is gone. So, what do you do with that? Let's think about it logically. God said, irrevocably and non contingently, you will have a king from the line of David forever. They had no king. They certainly don't have a Davidic king, they're slaves. God said, you will have this land, not contingently and irrevocably. It's yours, over and over and over and over again, promised through generations. Not only do they not have the land, they're not even in it. It's not just that they've lost control. They've been moved out of it. Not only are they not a great nation, they're not even a nation. And they're certainly not great. Their numbers are shrinking all the time. They're constantly sent around in slavery. They're being absolutely decimated as a people. They are vanishing off the face of the earth. And even if they wanted to obey now, there is no temple. The path towards obedience is essentially cut off. Now, if you had these irrevocable, non-contingent promises, and none of them panned out, do you start to think to yourself, when's it going to rain? Maybe he's not even sustaining this whole thing, right? Maybe it's all a farce. Let's think about it logically, guys. Maybe this is a pipe dream. Maybe our great-great-great-great-grandfathers were just lying to us. Maybe our gods are no more real than anybody else's gods. Maybe these Babylonians really have it together. Maybe we should assimilate into their culture, and some did. Maybe we should just give up on this whole Judaism thing, and some did. But you know, as much as they were wondering, are we beyond saving? A remarkable thing happens. A remarkable thing. There is a core of faithfulness that never dissipates There is a sustained beating heart of faithfulness in the Jewish people that is never allowed to stop being. It keeps going. (laughs) Haven't forgotten that it's Christmas. (laughs) Another reminder, okay? Thought I'd break up the mood a little bit. That is a beautiful scene. I wouldn't mind that fireplace. How much did it have to do with Noah that God was going to sustain this whole thing? How much did it have to do with David that God was going to bring about an eternal king? How much did it have to do with, who are we on now? Abraham, that he was going to be a great nation and have all the land. Nothing. It gets more confusing than that. (laughs) When they're taken captive, they're in exile. They've lost everything. They have no hope. They're wondering if they've messed up finally beyond the point of repair. Even the temple is gone. Even the temple is gone. God's presence rested in the temple. This is figurative of God's presence being removed from the people. All the favor gone. All the ability to obey, gone. They're slaves. And now the prophets start to prophesy really weird stuff. It almost seems like salt in the womb. Jeremiah is the first. He sees Jerusalem fall after the siege. He sees the atrocities that are happening. He sees people eating each other out of desperation. It is the worst thing in the Bible, if you read the book of Lamentations, in my opinion. And after that, the Holy Spirit tells them to prophesy things like this. Listen. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. And why won't it be like that covenant? Because they broke my covenant, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Key slide. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. This is the line. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. If you had just seen your city destroyed and the bedrock of your civilization, everything that you used to make sense of who you were, who your nation was, and who your God was, completely and brutally destroyed, and then somebody tells you this, I'm not so sure you'd be happy. And in fact, Jeremiah did not meet a happy end. But he prophesied faithfully what the Lord was telling him. Another covenant is coming. I am going to forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. Separated. And time and place is Ezekiel. He's also a slave. And the Holy Spirit is saying things like this through the prophet Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. This is in the Old Testament. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will, guess what? Live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people, and I will be your God. This doesn't just happen for a decade or two. This tension between having nothing, all the promises broken, God seeming distant, wondering have we messed up beyond repair, nothing is turning out the way we thought it would, this isn't the religion we thought we had, we don't even know what to do. Generation after generation after generation. 100 years, 200 years, 300 years, 400 years, 500 years, almost 600 years of some of the most confusing history I've ever read. When you flip the page from the last chapter of Malachi over to Matthew, it's easy to turn that page. But the world in that time was thrown into a blender. There's just no other way to say it. You have Babylon take over the north, the southern kingdom. Then you have Persia take over Babylon. Persia is finally defeated by Alexander the Great, who dies tragically, divides his kingdom between his four generals. They have civil war. Finally, the Ptolemies take charge of Judah. The Ptolemies are finally kicked out by the Seleucids. Then there's a revolt in 164 after the Seleucids defiled the temple yet again. Then there's a revolt by the Hasmonians, and they get their independence in quotes, and that's in quotes because the Jews could only pretend to be independent because there were at least four other empires fighting each other and all four empires had internal fighting among themselves as did the Jews so as long as no one was paying attention they could pretend to be autonomous but in 63 BC I believe at the battle of Actium Rome finally took control of the whole region kicks everybody else out Rome has civil war and finally this guy named Octavian wins decides he's going to call himself Augustus And he is the first emperor of Rome. 600 years of a historical blunder, so complicated, I tried to make sense of it and couldn't. This is the best I could do, and you get it on one slide, so you're welcome. (laughs) Have we messed up beyond repair? Who are these people? Are we ever going to get our land back? Who are we controlled by? Now it's these people, now it's these people, now it's these people. 600 years of being a doormat, and that beating heart of faithfulness Somehow, against all the odds, remains until the first emperor decides, I need to take a census of my kingdom to see how many taxpayers I've got so I can rule with an iron fist the right way. So he declares the census. And Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, thinking he's headed for yet another valley in the abysmal history of Israel the new monarch is going to tax us. Got to go get registered. So he packs up his pregnant wife and they head out to Bethlehem because he belonged to the house and line of David. David. He went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. So let's revisit the question. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping. What child is this? While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, and in him all things hold together. What child is this? And I will make you a great nation, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. As scripture foresaw, God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And he announced the gospel in advance in Abraham that all the nations will be blessed through you, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What child is this? For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What child is this? If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. What child is this? Laid to rest on Mary's lap, is sleeping. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. During the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star, and we have come to worship him. What child is this? The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. What child is this? This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. I hope this message seemed more like a lesson from ancient history. I hope it seemed personal, and I hope it shed some light on the impact and the weight of what Christmas really was. We can learn a lot from the history of Israel. It's tumultuous, sometimes terrible. But I want to make this personal. I'm going to read what I wrote because I don't want to mess it up. If you feel like your dreams are far away, if you feel like your best efforts have failed to pay off, if you've failed, if you've been, if if you've chosen rebellion and sin for so long that you wonder if you're beyond saving, if you've ever felt like God must be done with you, if you think your life is irreparably off the rails, if nothing has gone as planned, and if you're inclined to question the very faithfulness of God or his willingness to want to love you, then I want to say something to you today, and I want you to hear it maybe for the first time with all the weight that it's meant to carry. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Stand up, guys. Let's pray.